First Kings 18, 36 through 39. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned upon the sacrifice, burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrated and cried, "The Lord, He is God! The Lord, He is God!" And then Acts one one through nine. In my former book, Theopolis, I wrote, I wrote about out all that Jesus began to do and teach. Until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering had shown himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive, he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for or the gift my father promised, which you ha have heard me speak about. For John baptized with a water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be a witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. The Bible is filled with scriptures that tell us to make a decision. When God brought the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, he told them, this day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now, choose life so that you and your children may live. Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. When Joshua took over and Joshua led the people to conquer the promised land, in Joshua 24, verses 14 to 15, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods that your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in the land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord." Isaiah, the prophet, he declares, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. 
And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, he says, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest affair. Listen to me. Choose what satisfies. Isn't that essentially what Jesus said as well in, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33? Seek first his kingdom, that being God's kingdom, and his righteousness, that being God's righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. If you want to have that which satisfies, choose God's kingdom, choose God's righteousness, place God and his priorities first in your life. And I am as certain as I am standing here that he will reveal himself in your life. This morning we're looking at a prayer from Elijah in our series. And when Elijah stood on this mountaintop challenging the prophets of Baal, he echoed the very same cry that God has always put before his people. Choose. In the 21st verse, prior to our scripture passage this morning, Elijah asked, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. In other words, make a choice. Elijah was telling his audience, you are God's people, make a choice to follow him. But you know, the people of that day preferred a, a milk-toast, watered-down version of faith. And people of our day do much of the same thing. They'll worship Jesus, but they're convinced that other religions are okay. The Pew Research people had a forum and, and came up with this statistic. 70%, so seven out of every 10 Americans said they believe that many religions can lead to eternal life. Seventy percent. Fifty-seven percent of evangelical church-going people had the same idea. That there are many ways to heaven. Why do people believe that? Why would we accept the idea that all gods are the same when they're not? The scripture is clear on that. None of the other gods and other religions even remotely like Jesus. 
Jesus said, He is the way. He is the truth. No other truth, but Jesus' truth. He is the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. I'm going to go out on a little bit of a limb here this morning. The United Methodist Church has allowed for such a wide range of beliefs and believes that that flexibility is is one of the strongest qualities, the strongest assets of the denomination. But you know, this has showed itself by some questioning Christ's identity, whether or not he was born of a virgin, Even his resurrection, they question. Heaven and hell, the existence of Satan, the second coming, and so on and so on. Luke, who is believed to be the writer of Acts here, was a physician. And he wrote in a way that presented the facts. I would, I would like to think that Luke and I had some things in common in, in my journalism days. And he writes here in his opening in Acts that they, they gathered around Jesus and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by his own authority. And then Luke ends with, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Folks, I believe that Jesus lived, that Jesus died, that Jesus was raised from the dead, that he ascended into heaven, as Luke records here, And today, he he rules and he reigns with God. And one day, he is going to return. The Bible says. Why should we believe that? Because God's word doesn't leave it up for question. All these different beliefs, it's man's doing not God's. We, we as a church find ourselves in a transition because we, we're saying that we want to believe in the authority of the Scripture. And the Bible clearly states that there's one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus. Our God is a personal God who cared for us so much that he gave his only begotten son so that our sins could be forgiven. He offers heaven as a gift, a gift that, that neither you or I could earn on our own account because we could never be good enough to get in. But Jesus made that possible when he died on the cross And no one is going to be able to tell me differently, no, he just passed out, or, you know, 
and, and he died and, and, and was placed in a grave. No one's going to tell me that nah, they stole his body. That he came back to life. That he rose back into heaven. To home. It's where Jesus came from. It's where Jesus returned. None of the other religions, as I pulled out a couple books from my, from my shelves, and none of the other world's religion even remotely like this and this personal relationship. So many of them are, you know, kind of like a checklist, a to-do list. Well, if you do this, and if you do that, and you do that. Not so for us. Not all religions would lead to heaven. That was back in Elijah's day. And it's true today as well. I wonder if we have another camp of people in this mix as well. Those who believe Jesus is God, they like going to church, but they just don't want to get too serious about this stuff. Their problem is they want God to be God over there. They want God, okay, yeah, let's, let's pick this hour on Sunday morning. And, and, and maybe let it be okay that I can make an emergency call to him once in a while. But have they really chosen God? We have a choice. Have they decided to follow Jesus? Or do they just want God to be God when they want him around? I wonder if God isn't just waiting for us to wake up, to make a decision, to make that choice, to put him first in our lives. The Israelites tried to compromise their faith and they ended up with three and a half years living in a drought. Their lives got hard. Their existence became very harsh. They said they were God's people, but they weren't living like it. And they were paying the price. When you say one thing and you do another, you're in for a drought in your life. There's going to be discord. There's going to be uneasiness and discomfort and conflict. You're never really going to be totally at peace. And for a lot of people, they're, they're unsatisfied with their life. In psychology, there's even a term for this. It's called cognitive dissonance. Cognitive 
dissonance. That's when you believe one thing, but you do something else. Psychologists tell us that when people try to live like that, disharmony results. Have you watched the news lately? How much disharmony and dissonance there is in the world? Have you, have you looked around the community? Have you looked at our own families? God tells us that if you live your life this way, if you don't live it his way, then cognitive dissonance is going to be the least of your worries. You have a choice to make. We find Elijah here praying twice in this 18th chapter of 1 Kings, two times from the same mountain. The first time that he prayed on Mount Carmel, God revealed himself by sending fire from heaven. That's in verse 38 that we read this morning. The second time Elijah prayed, God sent rain. That's a little further forward in verses 44 and 45. This morning I want to just look at this first prayer that Elijah prayed and what we might glean from that. Elijah was praying because the people of Israel had turned away from God. They had made a choice. And they were worshiping false gods, particularly the false god of Baal. And so Elijah set out to remind the people that the Lord is the one true God. He proposes that the people of Israel, that they, that they gather, and the prophets of Baal, that they would gather, and they would come together on Mount Carmel, and each pray to their God. Elijah would pray to the God of Israel, the God who answered by sending fire from heaven, declared to be the true God. Go back and reflect on those verses there from 1 King and just, I mean, this just wasn't a spark. This fire consumed the sacrifice, it consumed the altar, the ground that the altar was standing on, the water. They thought this idea seemed like a good one, so they gathered. They called to their God. The prophets of Baal went first, crying out in vain. No response. Elijah prayed this very simple, but yet sincere prayer that Tristan read this morning. Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God and that I am your servant, and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. If we begin looking at this, 
by recognizing that prayer is God's chosen means of revealing himself to his people. If we neglect prayer, we're dismissing the greatest means of being in a relationship with God. We're abandoning the most forcible means of demonstrating God's power. There is power in prayer. The God of Elijah stands ready to reveal his power through us when we pray, just like he did for Elijah. But prayer cannot be effective if we don't have that personal relationship with the living God. Notice that that Elijah proclaimed God for who he is. He says, you are God. Many of the people of Israel had forgotten God and conformed to to the ways of their neighbors, these people that were all around them, and, and they were worshiping Baal. The people of Israel desperately needed to be reminded that God is the one true God. Today, we need to be reminded that God is the one true God. Because there's so many people trying to tell us otherwise. We may not live in a foreign land that worships Baal, but, but we're surrounded by all these negative influences in our society that seek to to pull us away from serving God with our whole hearts, our whole minds, our whole bodies. Elijah's prayer continues to put things in perspective by going from you are God to I am your servant. Elijah was one of the latest prophets, uh, one of the last prophets uh, at that time. He no doubt would feel alone in his journey. But he faithfully continued as a servant of the Lord. When we're faced with opposition, when some hardship comes our way, how do we respond in our faith? We should ask God to ignite our faith as we continue to faithfully serve him each and every day of our lives. He'll take us through those stumbling blocks, those rough waters. Confidence. Do do you see a confidence in Elijah's prayer here this morning? He says, answer me, Lord. Elijah is boldly asking God to hear and to answer his prayer. And I think when we pray boldly before God, we should pray with an expectancy. We talk a lot about waiting. And waiting just isn't, you know, sitting there with our hands behind our back. Yeah, Lord, I'm waiting. 
but it's an active waiting. There's an expectancy. We expect, we know that God is hearing our prayers. He may not always answer the way that we might think, but we can confidently know and trust that God knows exactly what it is that we need. And then we come here to the why. Why is Elijah coming before God? So that the people will know that he is God. Elijah was not praying for just his own benefit, but he was praying for all those people that had gathered there at Mount Carmel. We might never know how our prayers, how our lives, how how our personal testimonies might reveal the truth of God to those that we've come across in our lives. But you know, that's the nature of true discipleship. Building those relationships so that God might be glorified, that his kingdom might grow by putting others first. After Elijah prayed, the passage tells us that fire did fall from heaven, consumed the altar, consumed the sacrifice, that Elijah had made there on Mount Carmel. When we pray boldly before God, miracles can still happen today. They do happen today. I'm reminded from our Bible study on the book of James that he highlights Elijah's bold faith. If you look that up in James chapter 5, verses 17 to 18, he mentions that that Elijah was a mere man who was being used mightily by God. And, And the truth is, we don't have to have amazing faith or, or be this super prophet to pray with power and to pray with boldness. We can just be simple little old me. But recognizing that God is the one true God. The same God who lives with us today is the same God who is with Elijah. And God used him in a very powerful way that day to to move heaven and to move earth. And he can do the same for each one of us. You choose. Where do you put God in your life? Is He the way? Is He the truth? Is He the life? Or do we let the world tell us otherwise? He is worthy of our praise and our adoration as we talked about last week with the prayer from Hannah. 
And so, Lord, we return to you not just our praise and thanksgiving this morning, Lord, but we return to you a piece of ourselves. We return that which you have given us in, in time and resources and finances. And Lord, we just pray that you would bless it and multiply it for your kingdom. Amen. Go from this place with the confidence that you are God's beloved children. Go out into the world with steadfast hope and joyous trust. In God's love, in the Holy Spirit's power, and the peace of Christ, go now in peace. Amen.